Well, this is week three, week three of our series on worship uh, called Worship Is, Worship Is. So the first week we looked at worship being gospel-centered, how it tells a story of the gospel, which is, uh, which is uh, God coming to us and in his holiness we confess our sin before him. Uh, we are assured that Jesus Christ has come to save us, and then he sends us out in service. This is our gratitude. This is our response for his salvation for us. This is a story we tell and we retell, we present and we represent every week. This is our, this is our worship service of what we do. Last week we looked at worship as covenant. Oh, we said that covenant is a, is a relationship between us and God. This is a bond in blood. This is our relationship that has been secured by the blood of Jesus Christ. This week we're looking at worship as being corporate. Worship is corporate. Well, before we turn to our word, I invite you to pray with me for this time. Lord, we are thankful that we can come together as your body and hear your word for us. God, we ask that you would open up our minds and our our hearts, our ears. Open us up to receive whatever it is that you want us to receive from your spirit. Lord, these words of grace, these words of challenge, we pray that they would meet us in ways that are transformative for us as your body so we might go out from this place and be your agents, your ambassadors of change in the world that is desperately in need of your love and grace. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're looking at a passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that is relatively, I think, familiar. At least you're, you're going to recognize the middle part of it because it's our words of institution, uh, the words that we say before uh, coming to the table together. And I think sometimes we, we forget or we fail to read what's before and what's after. This comes in a particular context. So we're going to be uh, looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this um, section that we uh, usually view in terms of Lord's Supper, but if you, you open up the passage, it's really about the corporate body, the, the nature of what happens um, when we come together. So I invite you to uh, hear these words afresh as you're able. Uh, try, to, um, try to free yourself from the, the normal context that you hear them in and hear them um, as they're written to us uh, in the broader context. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. This is God's word for us. In the following directives, says Paul, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Ouch. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Well, certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why so many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were discerning with regard to ourselves, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, how many of you remember? How many of you remember the that first week? Uh, that in-person worship was canceled because of the pandemic. Do you remember that? Do you remember how exciting that was? I mean, it really was a time of excitement. Uh, I remember our church in Edmonton. Um, that's where I was serving at the time that this happened. Uh, so the, the call went out. Church was canceled. Our, we were able to pivot rather quickly, um, especially you know, considering where we were with our, with our media at the time. Um, and so that first week of, uh, after canceling in-person worship, we, we met by Zoom. Is that, is, did you guys meet by Zoom at all? Okay, good. So you're going to be able to relate. It was, it was great. We met by Zoom and it was great. We, could, we gathered together on the, on the computer screen and we saw everybody in their little Zoom boxes. Do you remember that? Uh, our kids would, would kind of sit on our lap. We actually were sitting on the table watching it. Um, and uh, our kids would look through the little boxes trying to find their friends um, do you remember how, how we'd have conversations with each other and sometimes it was awkward because like uh, two adults would be talking it's like you forget that the whole other church can hear you as you're having this conversation it was great like we would, we would sing we would sing together as we could yeah the, the singing wasn't the music wasn't great because the, the connection the internet connection was poor sometimes the microphone setup wasn't great uh, but we were still singing we were still uh, praising in our homes and, and it was great it was, it was something special for about a week or two <laughs> and then you realize how desperately you need to be together you realize just how desperately you need to be shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in Christ singing. You need to be shoulder to shoulder with your brothers and sisters in Christ receiving the word, uh, praying, uh, hearing uh, God's people pray together and to be together as we worship him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has words from his book, uh, it's called Life Together, and he says, he talks about how the, how the worship, the, the, the gathering of the visible church in the world is only permitted by an act of God's grace. It is only an act of God's grace that we are permitted to come together to worship. 
I think we realize that in the, this pandemic era, when it was taken away from us, that we are not entitled to meet physically as a body. This only happens as a gift of God's grace. And we worship corporately. We do so together. Corpus, the, the corpus of, of Christ, the body of Christ. We come together. God calls a people out of the world. He calls a people together, and he makes them one new people. We are a part of a body responsible to each other. This is corporate worship. We have been saved together into a body, not individuals, but as a body. This is corporate worship. We're going to talk about corporate worship this morning, and there are so many things that we could say about corporate worship, but we can't say them all in one sermon. This sermon is going to be about an hour and a half anyways, so... We need to narrow it down. So this morning, we're just going to look at the sacrificial nature of corporate worship, especially as it comes to us from the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. So Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth, and this particular passage, um, he gives some very strong words of rebuke. He is uh, displeased with what is going on in the gathering of God's people. This is a gathering of the church. Now, what was happening, what would happen is that uh, this church, so it's not like you, if you want to gather to go to church, not like you, you drive down North Saginaw and you, you meet together uh, at Midland Reformed Church. You don't go down the road and you meet at the, you know, the Baptist Church or you don't go and meet at um, uh, Aldersgate. You don't go down to the local Methodist church and meet. What would happen is that the, the church, the body of Christ, would meet together in homes. Now, typically, when the body of Christ would come together, it would have to come together in somebody's uh, home who was wealthy, so they had enough space to host this, uh, this gathering, this big gathering. And as uh, we read in this passage, there was, a, there was a supper, there was a meal that took place. So they would celebrate the sacrament, maybe as we think of celebrating the sacrament, but it was more they would share in this larger feast this larger meal that would be bookended by the body and sharing of the blood of Christ and the bread and of the cup. And this was all fine, and this was, this was really good, except that there were divisions. We read that in our passage. There are divisions among you. And what was happening is that the, the Greco-Roman culture was being brought into this gathering of the church body, this gathering of God's people. And so while they were gathering, when they came together as a body, there would be a division. And this division uh, was between the haves and the have-nots, those who were uh, maybe socially elite and those who were, who were far down on the, on the scale. Now, when they, they came together, dinners, dinners like this back then, it was, it was kind of a bring-your-own-food kind of dinner. So this would be normal for them. But what was going on is that people would, uh, would come with their own food, and the, the elite or the, the, those that had the money, and they would eat and they would fill themselves. They would stuff themselves, some to the point of, of being drunk, while the others uh, were going hungry. 
And usually this would happen in different sections of the house, of the living space. The, the well-to-dos would be over in one space, and then the, the have-nots, those a little bit further down, would be in another space. So there was um, not, this, not just this distinction because of the, the amount of food. There was, there was literally a physical separation as they gathered together. Now, culturally, this was, this was okay. Culturally, this is what was going on in Corinth at this time in the first century. In this Greco-Roman culture, meals like this, these large gatherings, they were a time to, to rub shoulders with the well-to-dos. It was a time to rub shoulders with those who had the money, had the power, had the influence. Well, the problem is that this is not a social gathering, though. This is a gathering of the church body. This is, this is God's people. These are God's people coming together. And as God's people, everybody comes with need. Everybody comes from the same place. Everybody comes uh, in this same state, in need of God's grace. And if they have something, it's only because God has given it to them. And so Paul offers these words of sharp rebuke, saying, I have no praise for you in this matter. You think that you are eating the Lord's Supper? Look how strong strong this is. You think you are eating the Lord's Supper? You're not eating the Lord's Supper. You are eating your own supper. It would be better if you were not having this meal at all. It's not just, it's not neutral. No, it's actually destructive. What you're doing is harmful. These are some very pointed, harsh, sharp words of rebuke. And I think if we were wise, we would take time to consider and take, take time maybe to assess where we are at with our worship as we gather together as a body. What would Paul say if he was uh, to look at our worship? If Jesus Christ were to evaluate our worship, what would he say? I want you to answer that question not with, a, not with the thought of, oh, what kind of theology are we communicating? Because that's not the context. That's not the context of what we're reading this. I want you to think about that question in terms of how are we doing as a corporate body? This is about the relationships that we have with one another. How are we treating our fellow brothers and our sisters in Christ? Again, not a question of theology, more of how are we regarding or disregarding each other as we come into this space? Is our worship more good than harm, or is it doing more harm than good? Now, like the, like the, the Corinthian church, so the, the Corinthians, they were bringing their culture in with them into this, this gathering of God's people. Now, how are we doing that? Are we bringing our culture into this space? And if we are, what kind of impact is it having? Now, our culture, I would say, is, uh, is a culture that is about the individual. This is a culture that is concerned with me. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about my. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. What I like, what I want, what I think, what I know, what I see. Who's that? Nobody? Nobody knows that song? Toby Keith? 
the me, the me generation. That's not just the, the younger people. I think the boomer generation was known as the me generation. And then the, there's my generation. We were about um, self-satisfaction and self-realization. This is, this is something that we daily breathe. We are a highly individualistic culture. So yes, we are in jeopardy. We are in danger of bringing this culture into our worship. And then so we, we think we come with this. So what do I prefer? What do I want? What do I need to get out of worship? Which is hard because it treats the people around us as being secondary. Even worse, it could treat the people around us uh, as getting in our way. How are these people stopping me from getting what I need? Well, Paul... What Paul does in this Corinthian church is he, he, he refocuses them. He shifts them back. He takes, he takes this thing that they're desecrating and he helps them uh, to really look at what's going on. And what Paul does is he takes them back to the heart of the Lord's Supper. And you see it in these words of institution. These words that I received from Christ, I pass on to you. The night he was betrayed, the night his friends turned against him, he offered them this bread and he says, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The very, the very nature of this meal is supposed to dictate the relationship that the believers have with each other. Well, this is, this is a, a, a people of sacrifice. Jesus Christ offered himself for these people, for his disciples. He gave of himself. He sacrificed. And so we say that that corporate worship is sacrificial because it is rooted in the very person who gave everything. Well, Jesus Christ, who himself was God, did not consider this status as something to be used to his own advantage. No, rather, he took the humble route. He took the lowest route. He came underneath us, being obedient to death on the cross, sacrificing himself, giving himself to the fullest extent for us. So words like, Self-satisfying, self-interested, self-seeking, individualistic Christian. This is an oxymoron. These things don't hold together because Christ is self-giving. Christ is other-focused. Christ is other-interested. And if we claim to have identity with him... To be a Christian is to live into this sacrificial part. Sacrificial part of who Christ is. This is my body and it's for you. Corporate worship is sacrificial. Corporate worship calls us to consider the other person. Corporate worship calls us to hold the other person in higher regard than we do ourselves. So the question is, how? How does this, how does this work out? What do we what do? Because this is a hard thing. This is a really hard calling when we say that we come into corporate worship and we're supposed to have the other's value, the other's interest in mind and not my own interest. Well, what does that look like? I think essentially what we're asking is, how do we grow in Christ-likeness? 
How do we grow in Christ-likeness? And I would say the first thing is that you spend time with Christ. You spend time with Christ, allowing him to shape you into that person, allowing him to conform you into that image. Because if I am not confident, if I am not secure in who I am in Christ, it's going to be really hard for me to have concern for the other. It's going to be really hard for me to see past myself. It's going to be really hard for me to to be able to sacrifice if I don't think that somebody is going to be there to catch me and receive me as I give of myself. So this first part is being, uh, being confident, being assured of who you are in Christ. If I'm insecure, then there's no way that I'm going to be able to, to give of myself in a corporate nature. A point that's, that, uh, that follows off of that, that, that is really, uh, it comes on the, the tail, the tail of this, is the question, why, why, what are we doing as we come into worship? Why am I coming into this space? Now, I think for a lot of us, um, the, the response is, I come to get filled. I come to meet with the Lord and I come to be filled. I think that's a common thing. I, I think I come for that same reason, but I think we need to be careful because I think this is, this is highly tied to our individualistic culture. I think it's okay and it's okay to, to expect that as we meet with the Lord that he's going to transform us. We're going to talk about that more next week. But I think we need to be careful when we say, I come to this place to be filled. This is, this is one hour. Hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half sometimes. This is one hour out of the entire week. If this is the only time that you are being filled by the Lord, if this is the only time that you are coming intentionally into the Lord's presence, well, this is going to be hard. What are, you, what are you doing in the other part of the week to be filled? If you're struggling to give of yourself, if you're struggling to sacrifice as we come together as a corporate body, don't examine what's going on here for this one hour Don't put a microscope on what we're doing in this worship service. I want you to consider the other 167 hours during the week. What am I doing? What am I doing to uh, bring myself before the Lord or before other people in a posture of confession? What am I doing during the week um, to give my praise, to give my thanksgiving, even to, to sing, maybe sing my laments to the Lord by myself or with other people? What am I doing during the week uh, to root myself in God's grace? Am I bringing myself before his word for the assurance that, yes, I do belong to him, that I am secure in him, that, yes, he did give his life for me and for his people? Am I being fed during the week? Am I bringing myself before scripture and allowing it to challenge me during the week? Scripture passage like Philippians 2, 4, when it says, Look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Am I bringing myself in prayer before the Lord, the only one who can make that happen inside of me? Am I practicing self-denial and self-sacrifice during the week, or do I just expect that it's magically going to happen once I come into this place uh, to join with my brothers and my sisters in worship? If this is the only place where I am expecting to get fed, you can see how, that's gonna, how that is going to be a hard thing to, to give of yourself, to surrender what you need for the sake of the body. But this, this is what we're called to. 
We're called to come together in corporate worship, and corporate worship is sacrificial. So that's a, that's a, okay, so root yourself in Christ and make sure that these other 167 hours you're, you're being fed by the Lord, that you're being fed in community. So as you come into this place, you have something to give the body. Now then, when you come into this place, what, what, is that, what does that look like? What about the distractions? You, you've come prepared. You've prepared yourself for the week. You've come into this place, but there are distractions. There are things that still bother you. What do you, what do, you do with that then? Well, a pastor and a theologian um, author, Richard Foster, he wrote The Celebration of Discipline. Um, he, gives, he gives this uh, this advice or this recommendation. He says, um, to bring these distractions, bring these things um, that are bothering you, he says, um, absorb them with gratitude. Absorb them with gratitude. People of gratitude. And so that would mean um, if there are babies, if there are children, if there are, are youth maybe who are being loud or, or distracting to you, you absorb that with gratitude. And so you, you say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the younger generation. Thank you, God, that we do have youth in this church. Well, maybe, there's a, um, maybe there's a sermon. I, I, doubt, I highly doubt this, but maybe there's a sermon <laughs> That you're, not, uh, that you're not connecting with, that you're just not quite, um, that's not quite meeting you where you want it to meet you. Well, you can thank God that the Holy Spirit works in ways that are beyond our comprehension. And that as you hear the word, as you receive the word, um, God is doing something in your heart, even though maybe it doesn't seem like it mentally. Or maybe you're having trouble, again, probably not, but tracking where the sermon is going or tracking the, the scope of the service. Well, thanks be to God that we can go back and watch this because it's being recorded. Or you can go back and listen to the sermon on a podcast. So thanks be to God. Or if maybe you're struggling with a song or a style or, or particular elements of the worship service. Well, thanks be to God that we can gather together as his people and we don't have to be next to Zoom boxes. Thanks be to God that he has permitted by an act of his grace for us to come and worship together as his people. Because we are the body of Christ, the corpus of Christ. This is who we are. We are a a saved people. God has called us out from sin from this place of death, and he has brought us not as individuals. He doesn't come and call us into these uh, lone ranger positions. No, he gathers us into his body. We are a corporate body coming under the blessing, under the salvation of Jesus Christ. And part of our call as a worshiping body is to come together in a willingness to give of ourselves for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So in our worship, that may we be concerned with the other. And may we trust confidently that Jesus has and Jesus will continue to provide for all we need. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.